Welcome back to the Devin Nunes podcast. As promised, last week I said that we were going to have on the former director of national intelligence for President Trump, John Ratcliffe, also former colleague of mine, served on the House Intelligence Committee with me and also was a prosecutor for the Department of Justice, has tremendous experience, one of the best lawyers that I that I ever worked with. I always enjoyed watching John Ratcliffe interrogate uh interrogate our witnesses. Uh, he always did a phenomenal job. And John, you're actually, I feel bad for you because you're actually, I thought you were going to be in Texas. You're originally from Texas. Um, you live in Texas, but you're in our nation's swamp today. What are you doing in Washington? Are you running for speaker? <laughs> actually, uh, the room that I'm in right now uh, is overlooking the Capitol. I can see it uh, as I'm talking to you, but uh, no, uh, you know, I think uh, Speaker Devin Nunes sounds awfully good. Um, uh, but no, uh, I, I'll be sure to steer away from the Capitol uh, and everything that uh, the mess that's going on there right now, unfortunately. Uh, well, we, things well, got we crazy in- after you and I left, Devin. I mean, it was all so sane when we were there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, you could you could almost see it coming. I was telling my daughter this morning, I dropped her off at school and you know, she grew up with me in Congress, you know, when she was young, you, I'm, I'm sure you met her a few times, but, you know, she's now 15 and she's struggling to understand what's happening. She's like, well, why aren't the Republicans, you know, they don't understand why they got rid of McCarthy, who she knew. Um, and now they can't agree on someone. And I said, look, yes, it's the Republicans fault. Yes, they're not, they're not acting uh, very judiciously. And I don't think they're being politically smart. But I think it's just a sign of the times where, you know, you and I were deeply engaged in the whole Russia hoax. And I think that's kind of a tipping point for America. You know, Obama got away with, you know, Benghazi and targeting of Americans through the IRS. Um, and then, you know, what the hell? They rolled the dice. The Clinton campaign works with DOJ. They created the whole Russia hoax. You engulfed the whole Trump administration into that fiasco, that's, you know, you and I helped to unravel all of that disaster. Um, And then, of course, you became the director of national intelligence. And I think, you know, nobody did more work than you did or better work than you did inside the administration, uh, trying to and declassify everything that you possibly could. And in fact, I don't even know how many declassification orders were given because Trump every single day says, I declassify everything. (laughs) Uh, And uh, you went in there, got a lot of that information out. We were able to put, I think, you know, maybe there's most significantly the tie of uh, the the strange John Brennan, who was the director of CIA under Obama. Um, He had briefed me in 2016 that there was some something weird going on. And then, of course, didn't give me any details. And then, of course, then we have this intelligence community assessment that we get briefed on in January of 17, uh, where Brennan doesn't say anything about what you later uncovered, uh, which was that he knew about this, that this was a Clinton scam and he briefed Obama and company. But I don't know. I don't we don't want to spend our time on that. But I do think it is. Well, I, have you here. I think it's a I think it's a I think it's an important point to talk about, Devin, because, you know, you were the you were the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. I was on the Intelligence Committee. And it wasn't until, despite all of the witnesses that we had in, all of the investigations, everything that was happening, the whole Mueller deal, it wasn't until I became the director of national intelligence that the world found out about the fact that John Brennan had briefed Barack Obama and Joe Biden 
and Jim Comey and everyone else about the fact that the Russia collusion hoax was a Hillary Clinton campaign um, tactic. And, you know, uh, I mean, John Durham now subsequently included it in his report. But but yeah, the declassification of that was where the public found out about it. And of course, as you remember, I was accused of being political and it literally didn't happen and all of the things that, that happened there. And, you know, and then, you know, you know, fast forward, um, a, a, you know, a couple of years, uh, or I mean, you know, forward in time, uh, you know, also, you know, coming out and saying, look, I was the one that said Hunter Biden's laptop is not Russian disinformation. And again, was, was again attacked by the media and others as saying something that was trying to help you know, politically, when in fact, everyone now knows that in fact, I was telling the truth. And it, 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 you're right, it's to your point about, it's the state of things and how unfortunate it is that even as the director of national intelligence, as I was putting out intelligence, um, you know, it was being refuted by the left and by the left uh, media uh, for political reasons. And I think it's part of what's contributed to the, to the chaos that is Washington, D.C. right now. Yeah. And it's it's sad. And I think that's it's just the slow degradation of of what's happening. But um, look, we're, I'm going to talk a little bit about the speaker race, um, maybe here at the end of the podcast. But I do. But first, I want to start with the Middle East. Um, and I've got we've got a couple clips to play. The first clip we're going to play is um, Joe Biden um, less than 24 hours ago on Air Force One, I believe. And and John. It's going to take you, former director of national intelligence, a highly respected attorney, to decipher this for me and my audience, because I don't know exactly what he was talking about, but here it is. I spent an hour and a half about 17 or 18 before. And I don't know how to say this. Virtually every... mass shooting, every circumstance where a large number of people have been victimized and lost, I spoke with them. I learned a long time ago, which you will learn in your life as well. When someone's going through something that is beyond their comprehension that they ever thought they'd have to go through, if they see someone who they think understands or maybe been through something not the same but similar, it gives them some sense of hope. And I always get criticized sometimes by my staff because when I go to these events, I stay for three and four hours and answer all the questions. But it matters. It matters a lot. And, uh, and look, I've talked, some of you have gone through a hell of a lot more than I've gone through and a lot more than other people have gone through. And you understand. So it's just, it's just, uh, people are looking for just something to grab, something that gives them some sense, sense of hope. And well, John, I think Blinken and others were trying to grab Biden and get him away <laughs> from the cameras. I, can you tell me what he was talking about there? You know, it's, uh, it's it's one it's just so disheartening um uh to watch this i mean this is the leader of the free world as we as we talk about but but the truth is 
you know, that is the role that he's in. That's the role that he should be projecting. And, you know, instead we see a guy that, uh, as we so often see in public, I'm not trying to be mean here, but, you know, when, when he finishes speaking in, in public and standing on a stage or whether it's in a situation like this, he, he literally looks um, and, and gives the impression that he couldn't find his way out of a paper bag with a hole in the bottom of it. And, and we see that and it's easy to make fun of, but the fact is the world sees that. And most importantly, within the world, our adversaries see that. And, and what's happening in the Middle East and, and in, you know, the, the, now the war in the Middle, Middle East and, and before that, the war in Eastern Europe with Ukraine and Russia. And before that, you know, the United States getting chased out of Afghanistan. I mean, all of these things are, uh, you know, are a byproduct of what you just witnessed there, which is, um, you know, the opposite of peace through strength, you know, is uh, chaos through weakness. And, you know, we see a weak president and the world sees that and they see an opportunity in terms of our adversaries, um, you know, to um, uh, to engage in the kinds of things that, that we are seeing in the Middle East. And so, you know, um, yeah, you know, I was fortunate to work for a, a president who projected strength and for all the things that people want to criticize about about President Trump. I mean, we didn't have two world wars. We didn't lose to the Taliban. China wasn't slapping us around, um, you know, uh, publicly uh, or spying on us, you know, across the country. All of the things that are, you know, pick a place on the globe and, and we're, we're worse off because that guy uh, is, is our commander in chief. And, um, you know, this is why, you know, it's important that that, 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 that change in 2024 or the kinds of things that are happening around the world are going to continue to happen. Yeah. So, so John, um, you've spent a lot of time in the Middle East as have I over the, over the years. Um, I want to first get into what's very hard to talk about um, because I know that both you and I have uh, a lot of respect for the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, uh, their intelligence capabilities. I'm sure you've been down to the Gaza Strip um, like I have many times. And last week after this had just broke on the show, I was uh, I was just a little bit shocked that they were, you know, it, it's easy to get ones or twosies, fire some rockets. You know, that's been happening for the better part of the last two decades um, out of the Gaza Strip. But this looked like a well-orchestrated, planned attack um, that probably surpassed any of, of Hamas's uh, uh, beliefs of, of how successful it could be. Um, I don't think it could have been more successful for them. Um, and I'm just a little bit shocked as to Hamas's ability to get, you know, I don't know what's estimated. We, it's hard to know, but a thousand um, uh, trained fighters uh, over that border. Um Am I accurate? I, I don't want to speak for you, but are you as surprised as I am of the, of the success of this attack? Uh, I am, and I think it's fair to characterize it uh, as, as an intelligence failure. Um, uh, I think that what contributed to the intelligence failure that you talked about, though, um, Devin, is the inescapable uh, component of it is that it, it was also a diplomatic failure. And so, you know, um, you know, from the intelligence standpoint, I mean, obviously what you saw was sort of a, a you know, um, 
a failure of, of, of imagination um, from, from the standpoint of the IDF to think about uh, the ways, you know, they, they focus so much. What people don't realize is, you know, because tunnels are how Hamas had accessed uh, Israel before, that when they put up their iron wall, as they, as they call it, they focused on, you know, concrete barriers going down and detection into the ground. They didn't really focus on the fact that, you know, that it really was a couple of layers of chain link fence and that folks coming in on paragliders and then using some technology like drones to take out, um, you know, uh, watchtowers in certain places, you know, not unlike what the cartels do on our southern border. Right. And and uh, they find certain locations and focus on that. Uh, and then, um, you know, we're successful in getting through that. But but the point of the, about it. So, you know, obviously, you know, uh, the IDF and, and, and even Mossad will have to look at this from from that standpoint. But the reason I talk about um, the diplomatic failure here, uh, Devin, is because this was sophisticated, far beyond anything that our own intelligence would ever comprehend that Hamas would do, because Hamas didn't do this. This was orchestrated, directed, funded, ultimately approved um, by the Islamic uh, regime in Iran. And it was the diplomatic failures that allowed um, Iran to help plan this, coordinate this, to train Hamas, um, you know, um, uh, to pull this off, which were the things that weren't happening in the Trump administration because we left an Iranian, um, and this is, this is not open to debate. I mean, it's clear that we left Iran poorer, weaker, and less influential than any point they'd been in the last 20 years. These things weren't happening because Iran couldn't afford to fund um, Hamas, couldn't afford to fund Hezbollah, uh, couldn't afford to fund militias in Syria and Yemen. And we know that because every, every day the intelligence reports during the Trump administration that we would get and that I would look at would be, you know, our intercepted uh, uh, communications where they'd be talking about the fact that they couldn't afford to do these things. And so, you know, the reversal of a maximum pressure campaign on Iran and allowing Iran to go from a very poor country to a very rich country because we eased up, we lifted restrictions, we, we didn't enforce sanctions that were in place, and we let um, Iran become rich. They've used that wealth to help fund what is the greatest atrocity against the Israeli people since the Holocaust. Well, we're, we're speaking to John Ratcliffe. You can follow him on True Social, former director of national intelligence and my former colleague on the House Intelligence Committee. John, the concern that, that I have, uh, which I'm sure you have the same, um, is I believe that Gaza is going to be small enough. It'll be ugly. It'll be very tough for the Israelis to go in and do what they have to do to eradicate Hamas um, there. Uh, but there's another problem. Um, and it's the problem of a group called Hezbollah. A lot of folks, I think, don't understand. Lebanon to the north of Israel is controlled essentially by Hezbollah, which is an Iranian uh, front group. And Hezbollah poses a tremendous threat from the north. There's, I always tell people, last week I told you, just be careful what you believe. All you know, the first three reports are normally wrong, but we are getting um, bits and pieces of information that some villages and communities along that northern border with Lebanon have been evacuated. We're getting reports of rocket uh, rockets, missiles being fired uh, from the north into from Lebanon into the northern part of Israel. Uh, but uh, 
it's believed, John, this is the information that's, that's been reported on publicly, um, that Lebanon, in Lebanon, Hezbollah has very sophisticated weapons, much more sophistication than, than Hamas. Uh, but that danger from Hezbollah, I believe, has got to be on the minds of the Israelis uh, as they begin to uh, try to take out Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Well, I can give you more than reporting on it. So I have, you know, my former counterparts in Israeli intelligence, uh, some that are formers themselves. Uh, I've had conversations over the past, you know, 10 days um, about this and about these concerns and they're um and and that is devin you're you're absolutely you're absolutely correct i'm here for 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 the listeners and viewers you know um as as well planned as this operation was what's also known is is you know that israel has to respond and the problem with that devin is it's like um, playing chess with someone and they know that they know where your rook has to go and the rook has to go into into the Gaza Strip um, to respond to this. And that that causes a, a problem. It's going to be difficult there because Hamas is a group that, you know, um, disregards, um, you know, the international warfare principle of distinction, meaning you distinguish, you can distinguish between uh, militants and civilians. And Hamas muddies that that line intentionally, purposely. Um, and so uh, they're going to do that and they're going to do that with the knowledge that, you know, they're gonna try and attribute all of the uh, casualties that take place to try and uh, reduce support for, uh, you know, as the casualty numbers go up, the support for Israel is gonna go down and pressure on Israel to, to not respond or to engage in the ceasefires gonna go down. And so as difficult as that problem is, Devin, you're right. It's to the north where, um, you know, Hezbollah isn't just isn't just supported by uh, the Iranian regime. They were founded by it in the early 80s. It was the Iranian Revolutionary Guard that founded um, Hezbollah. And to contrast it, you know, what you saw with Hamas yesterday or the, the day before with, you know, homemade rockets going the wrong direction and blowing up hospitals and the kinds of things that we expect from Hamas because they're not very sophisticated, their weaponry is, is homemade. In the case of Hezbollah, it's approximately 100,000 uh, fighters who have largely been trained by the Ira Iranian Revolutionary Guard uh, Corps, uh, and they have more than 130,000 precision-guided rockets and missiles and drones, and, uh, mm. and, and so, they have the capacity that Hamas does not have. They have the capacity to overwhelm uh, Israel's primary defense system, which is, as you know, Devin, the Iron Dome, Iron Dome system. And, and so a, uh, an assault from the Northern Front while, while engaged in the South in Gaza um, is something that Israel has never encountered before. We all have great confidence in in the IDF and their ability to defend themselves, but they've never seen a, a threat like this. And, and again, I go back to the diplomatic failures that allowed this to be in place right now. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the, the contributory negligence of this current administration in enriching Iran and allowing Iran um, uh, to coordinate this, what is likely to be a multi front assault on the uh, nation of Israel. And and this is really why you have people talking about the potential for 
World War Three, and I don't want to you know speak in hyperbole or get. Yeah, you're concerned. not you're not being hyperbolic at all. Yeah, because it is. I mean, if you're you're right, the Iron Dome I don't think can sustain thousands and thousands of 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 uh, missiles coming from the north. Um, and you know they could rain down everywhere, and then at that point, then what does Israel do with Iran? What does Iran do with Israel? Then you're going to have it complicates. I mean, everything's been relatively stable with with the Arab countries, with the, the Saudis, Egypt, etc. Um, but you know, even Turkey, supposed NATO NATO ally. I mean, he's Erdogan's been very vocal uh, against the the Israelis, and you have to wonder that he doesn't have some of the same uh, beliefs that. Uh, that they have in um, with with Hamas and with Iran, um, but John, you actually gave us a great segue. Um, you brought up something that um, always happens in these situations, and I'm guessing will happen again. And that is that support for Israel is high right now, but once they begin to conduct warfare, even when they don't conduct conduct warfare, they blame the attack on hospital on the Israelis, and of course. You have mainstream media jumps on it as if it's true. You have members of Congress who jump on it as it's true. And John, I don't think I would have ever suspected the next clip that that we're going to play. Um, I just would not have expected this happening in the United States Congress. You know all the locations, Cannon, uh, Cannon Building that goes right the tunnel right underneath into the Capitol. Uh, many members have their offices there. Many committees there. Independence Avenue. Uh, but we've got a report from there that I want to play for the viewers and then get you to comment on it. A senior congressional correspondent, Chad Pergram, is on site there to give us a little sense of what's happening. Hi, Chad. Hey there, Martha. This is a massive protest, one of the biggest protests I've ever seen covering Capitol Hill. They have pretty much taken over the Cannon Rotunda here on Capitol Hill. This is in the Cannon House office building across the street from the U.S. Capitol Hill. Capitol. As you can hear, they are chanting, they are singing. Now, these are mostly people who are Jewish, who are saying, we want to free Gaza. They were chanting just a few moments ago, chants of ceasefire. Jews say, ceasefire now. And also wearing T-shirts that say, let Gaza be be free. This is a massive demonstration here. There's a number of Capitol Police on scene. There have been a few arrests here, and there's a whole cordon of U.S. Capitol Police surrounding them. Uh, we're told that they might move in to try to arrest some of these demonstrators. Security on Capitol Hill around the Capitol itself was very tight today. There was a memo from the House Sergeant at Arms uh, last night uh, indicating to staff that they expected some disruptions and demonstrations today. In fact, they put a small fence up around the Capitol itself. You had to show idea to get through, but they have come over and taken over the entire rotunda of the Cannon House office building. This is probably twice as big as any demonstration that I've ever seen. So there you go, John. We have members that participated, uh, American citizens have participated in the January 6th riot. Um, and I think you and I are in total agreement that anybody who broke uh, glass windows and broke into the Capitol should be busted. But there's a lot of people who are sitting in jail right now that, John, I think it's hard, for, at least for me, to decipher the difference between somebody who didn't even go in the Capitol on January 6th and these people here, and you're not seeing this footage uh, that's here for the people on audio. It's the Cannon Rotunda. It looks like some over you know, several hundred people. But right outside there, John, they actually, I spoke to someone on Capitol Hill uh, this morning, uh, said that they actually blocked 
Independence Avenue. They shut down Independence Avenue. So right through those doors going down, there were hundreds and hundreds of more people. So just the shock factor that you would have people's people supporting this Palestinian movement inside the United States Capitol after this murdered 1,300 Israelis and what is, I don't know, now estimated some 30 Americans and they're holding Americans hostage. Uh, this to me is is something that I just haven't seen and I was shocked to see it. Well, I was as well and disappointed and, and disheartened. Cannon office building that you're, that you're seeing there, that was where my office was when I was in Congress before I, uh, before I came DNI. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I think what's reflected here and uh, the disparity is, is more of what we talked about in terms of a, uh, a two-tiered system of justice or, you know, um, a dual system of justice where there's selective enforcement and, and treatment and, and people that are doing this, doing some of the same things that, that took place on January 6th. And, um, and there's no effort to, to, to hold those folks um, uh, accountable in any way. But again, this goes back to, I mean, part of the problem here, um, you know, I think people need to, to understand that, um, you know, against the backdrop of this, not just the, the, the attack from, uh, you know, a week ago Saturday, but, you know, even the, the bombing of a hospital um, that our own intelligence community has assessed with a high level of confidence so as you know, Devin, we have a low level of confidence, a moderate level or a high level in terms of making assessments and our assessment from our intelligence, a high level that it was in fact the, you know, um, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad that, that, that blew up their own people. Um, mm -hmm. And yet you have members of Congress um, on the left, uh, Rashida Tlaib and others who are perpetuating, you know, lies about this to stoke the kind of, um, uh, demonstrations, protests, or even riots that, that are taking place. Um, and again, you know, a, a, a part of the problem here, Devin, is that um, you have an administration that won't call out bad actors, won't, you know, even as, the, as we saw, you know, President Biden talking about this, he, you know, he talks vaguely about, uh, you know, terrorist groups, and he won't name Iran as a, as a participant in this, and won't, really attribute blame where it needs to be blame. And as a result, that vacuum gets filled by false voices and uh, propagandists and others who mislead uh, the public uh, about these things. And, um, and as a result, you know, you have all of these, uh, you know, uh, you know, all of these, you know, bad actors um, acting on bad information. Yeah. And we're, we have the tweet up on the screen for those of you listening on, on the audio version, but uh, Rashida Tlaib still has up that Israel just bombed the Baptist hospital, killing 500 Palestinians, doctors, children's patients, just like that. Hey, hey, POTUS, hey. This is what happens when you refuse to facilitate a ceasefire and help deescalate. That's still up there on, on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. And I think that the problem here, Devin, that I, that I want to point out to folks is is that, you know, again, we go back to, you know, Iran coordinating this, funding this, directing this, our intelligence. Uh, I mean, you've heard the intercept, you know, intercepted communications uh, that Israel released, you know, uh, where Hamas leaders talking about the fact that they blew up their own hospital. And yet you still have, you know, uh, folks like Tlaib and others, you know, putting all of this out there. But, but the administration, you know, won't name um, Iran directly and is trying to avoid this because to to admit that is to admit 
that their Iran policy has just been an absolute failure, that in fact it's worse than their Afghanistan policy. And we thought that Afghanistan was the biggest debacle uh, you could possibly imagine. Well, you know, we're, we're seeing the fact that, that the Iranian policy from this administration is actually worse. And the consequences of this are playing out not just in Israel, but now in our own capital and across the United States with, 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 with protests, you know, again, um, that this administration won't call out, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, the way they should be. Well, there's long been an infatuation on behalf of the Democrats, starting going back to Obama, an infatuation with Iran for some reason. Um, and it's got worse and worse. And I think we won't get into this, but my listeners know that you know Obama is essentially the shadow president here. All of his main people are running uh, the operation uh, behind the Biden administration. But um, and I think later we'll get into this because I, I do want to get to the Republicans and the debacle that's going on in the House right now. Um, but more to come, John. And I don't know if you have any initial thoughts, but uh, what appears to me to be like a Iranian spying at the very highest levels of our own government um, inside inside the um, one was just relieved. Supposedly there's an investigation. Um one of the Iran envoys is actually an Iran Iranian sympathizer. So I think there's some concern there, which of course, if this was a Republican, or especially if this was Donald Trump, if this had happened, you wouldn't be seeing anything about Israel on the on the on television. You would just be seeing how many, you know, how spies have taken over uh the Trump administration. And yet I, I don't think the mainstream media has reported on it at all. No, and the, you know the article that's up there, the, the Trump, you know, cabinet members involved. I'm I'm one of them. So it was Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, uh, former Acting Secretary of Defense Chris Miller, former National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, myself. You know, um, calling out exactly it, it, it is. It's a you know at best it's a, 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 a you know Iranian influence campaign that's just been successfully uh, run within the Biden administration. But you know, um, I'm not sure that you, it's not fair to characterize it as, a, as aspiring, as you said. I mean, in the case of Robert Malley, um, you know, um, you have someone who, um, you know, has uh, publicly supported Hamas and in his past and, uh, and publicly criticized Israel. And he was, you know, the negotiator back in the Obama administration and then carrying forward, trying to rekindle the JCPOA that you and I you know, talk to the American people about about what a terrible deal that was. Well, it turns out, Devin, that Iran in negotiating that Iran wasn't negotiating with the United States. Iran was negotiating with Iran. <laughs> and 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 to that point, you know, part of his team, you know, there's currently as as you and I speak right now, Devin, there is a chief of staff to the assistant secretary of defense in the Pentagon who was ghostwriting op-eds for the Iranian foreign minister. I mean, so um, to, to really underscore what a problem this was where you had uh, pro-Iranian advocates um, who were in close coordination with the Iranian government and whether you want to characterize them as spies or not, we can, but, but very clearly that was, that was taking place and has been taking place over a number of years, which really answers the question, you know, why, why do we keep negotiating these terrible deals that are one-sided deals with Iran where they walk away with billions of dollars uh, and we walk away with nothing, um, you know, um, except paying for hostages. And, and now you know why. Um, and yeah, again, 
The Biden administration does not want to admit this because um, it would, in front of the American people, really disclose that guys like you were telling the truth all along, Devin, and that um, that the media was, um, you know, uh, covering for an administration um, that, that, that clearly uh, was trying to help uh, the largest state sponsor of terror in the world, the uh, Islamic Republic of Iran. And, it, and it's it's part of the degradation of, of, of our country and of our republic that this has been happening for the better part of, it's over 10 years now, it's almost 15 years at least since Obama has been very, Obama was very forward leaning. He wanted to create all this, supposedly it was gonna bring peace. Um, and it's wacko. It doesn't, it, it, it's never made sense. It doesn't make sense. And now we've, we're on the, the brink of war. With all that said, John, the final subject uh, that, that I want to talk to you about today is, you know, because you and I were both uh, in the Congress, served together. And I think if we didn't cover it on the show, uh, people would be, um, you know, wondering why we're not talking about it. And that is that this opening for uh, the Speaker of the United States of America. And it's, and I know, you know, people don't, and I've said this many times uh, on, on this podcast and many interviews. So I know a lot of you that are watching. Um, some of you may not agree with this, but it's my strong opinion that whenever you get a speaker, whoever that person is, when you get out of the Republican conference, especially when you only have a four seat majority, but even if you had a 50 seat majority, John, you you and I have both been there. You got to go out with whoever wins, whoever wins within the Republican conference, all the Republicans have to go out and be united, be behind that leader, just like the Democrats do. They They stay together. They stick together. And Kevin McCarthy should have been should have been allowed to just continue the rest of this term. The proper way to go and defeat Kevin McCarthy, if you don't like him, is that and, and John, the way that you and I would have done it, if we if we thought Kevin was doing a bad job, we wouldn't publicly say anything. We would quietly go around to our, our other colleagues, uh, have private discussions with them. We'd go campaign for those other colleagues. We would go into other districts. We would recruit candidates. Uh, we would get out and you'd build a political operation of your own, not hurting the Republican Party, but helping them at, while at the same time building coalitions, because that's what it is when you're in Congress, you got to build a coalition because 218 votes carries the day. Um, so uh, that didn't happen here. Uh, you had our one of our former colleagues, Matt Gates, re lead uh, seven others, um, got rid of Kevin McCarthy with what appears to be without a contingency plan. And now here we are. And the reason I bring this up, why is it so important other than it being in the news? We have Palestinian protesters invading the Capitol. Nothing's being done. We already lost a couple months on the investigations that needed to take place. But at the beginning of this Congress, they lost all the month of December for planning purposes and the month of January. They weren't able to get the committees populated and investigations underway. And now they've lost another month where investigations aren't occurring, which is really the only power that the Congress has. You and I ran many of these investigations. But I'm going to have you comment on uh, a clip that was, I think, just from this morning. Let's play the clip of Congressman Gates from Florida. What do you think about this resolution? I think that I'm against Speaker Light. I'm against Bud Light. I believe it is a constitutional desecration to not elect a Speaker of the House. We need to stay here until we elect a Speaker. And if someone can't get the votes, we need to go on to the next person. But but twisting and torturing the Constitution 
to empower a temporary speaker is having a speaker light that is not constitutionally contemplated is deeply infirm, and I will do everything possible to stop it. So clearly Matt Gates there, he's against Patrick McHenry, who's now the speaker pro tem. He's against the, the latest plan that was from this morning, John, and I, I know you were in some meetings this morning, so you don't, you don't know, but Jordan, um, uh, our friend and colleague, he doesn't, uh, doesn't appear like he has the votes. He didn't want to go back to the floor without the votes. Uh, he, him, uh, both Jordan McCarthy, as the fake news reports, I actually have not talked to either Jordan or McCarthy. Um, they got behind a plan, I think Steve Scalise, uh, to put um, in temporarily Patrick McHenry. Um, you see Gates and others have shot that down. I mean, I, I, you know, I actually, <laughs> I don't want to say that I agree with um, what's happened, what's taken place here, but I do believe they need to get a speaker and they need to get one quickly. But what say you? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, the plan for putting McHenry in. I mean, uh I don't think anyone wants that, but it's what's capable of being done at this point in time. And I think that, you know, I, I want to start off by saying, you know, I sat next to Matt Gates or near Matt Gates on, on you know, the House Judiciary Committee, and he and I are friends. Uh, I like Matt. Um, but it, your, your, the first point that you made, Devin, about, about choosing a speaker, look, I, I voted for John Boehner. Um, and I say that I represented one of the most conservative districts in the country, and I wanted a more conservative speaker, but the Republican Party chose John Boehner. So I supported him in part because I knew that it wasn't as simple as saying, well, I want a more conservative speaker. And I think that what, what is being displayed to, you know, what a lot of people have said during this process um, is, well, uh, you know, it's worth it if we get Jim Jordan as, as speaker. Well, as you see, he's a conservative guy and he can't be confirmed as, as speaker. And so, it, it, you know, it's uh it's easier said than done. And again, you know, Jim's one of my close, close friends. So is Kevin McCarthy. And so, you know, this was, there's no way around this, Devin. You know, we criticize, you and I criticize the Biden administration and the Democrats a lot. Um, we should criticize ourselves for this. This was, this was uh, call what you want, a circular firing squad, shooting ourselves in the foot. We're showing that we're not uh, good at governing. Um, and uh, we've gotten in our own way. The only thing people have learned uh, about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and the corruption that's going on is because House Republicans revealed that to them through hearings because they were in charge. The Department of Justice and the FBI in this administration isn't going to inform the American people. In fact, they're going to cover up about that. And you're right. Now we're not talking about that. We're talking about how Republicans aren't getting along. And, you know, um, yeah, you know, this has just been, frankly, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's a disaster for for Republicans in the House, and you know, I, I think that you know Matt Gates should, uh, at a minimum, admit that uh, we're in this problem because there was no Plan B here, and it's I think it's it's painfully obvious to everyone that there was no Plan B after getting rid of Kevin McCarthy, and Republicans are suffering because of it, and I and I hope that this doesn't cost us the majority in in twenty twenty four. Um, and I do hope the Republicans put this together and we get a speaker in there. Um, but this was a, this was a self-inflicted wound. And, um, and, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, that we can get it rectified because it, you know, all of the John, things I, that, that should be I have, happening. I have a plan. You're, you're over at Heritage right now. You can see the <laughs> Capitol. 
<laughs> so why don't you start walking right now? Dodge all those Palestinian uh, protesters <laughs> that are out there. Walk into the Capitol. I'm going to start calling my colleagues now. I'm going to nom- I'm going to see if they'll nominate you because if, if you, in case you don't know, John, I'm sure you know, but maybe some of the listeners and, and viewers don't know, you actually don't have to be elected to Congress to be <laughs> elected as Speaker. So. John, you could, it could, maybe I, it could you know you. what, Devin, I love every part of that plan. And I, I, I'll go dodge the Palestinian protesters and I'll go over to the Capitol. I'm just going to change the nomination from Ratcliffe to Devin Nunes. I mean, there is, there's not a more popular Republican that wouldn't be well received by our old colleagues and, and uh, folks on the outside. So although, no. you know, it might make President uh, Trump mad uh, in, in the process, because I know, you know, uh, you're doing such great things with True Social. Well, John, I, I appreciate the kind words and hopefully our colleagues get their act together. But hey, you've been great, John. Um, love what you're doing. Um, if you can follow John Ratcliffe on, on True Social. Uh, but John, I know you're, you're doing a lot still for the America First movement. Uh, I know you're, you, you even help out with a lot of the policy. Uh, and thankfully, we have people like you that are on the outside um, that are hopefully going to help get uh, President Trump uh, elected. And we can fix a lot of these problems with guys like you. Well, you're very kind. I, you know, there's a lot of things about uh, Congress that I don't miss, and the recent events that are taking place, uh, like today, those are things I don't miss. But I, I, I miss being on your committee and working for you, for the American people, and and doing the good work that we did together, and and that, you know, now that we're doing it, uh, the same thing, but from uh, from a little different angle. But uh, you're great friend number one but you're a great patriot and a great american and uh and america's the better for you so um, well thank you proud to, I, proud to call I really you my friend i appreciate that same same back to you uh this is devin nunes i'm not sure who we're going to have on next week uh but i think we will be coming to you from truth social headquarters uh next friday but john thanks again you bet and we will catch all of you next week